I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, friends. Welcome to Once Upon a Gene. I'm so grateful you took the time out to listen today. I'm Effie Parks. I have a great guest to introduce you to today. She has three kids, one of whom was born with Prader-Willi syndrome. And today we're talking about the relationship and the complexities of the sibling experience and how she navigates that unique and extra, extra layer of parenting. If you're like me, I'm constantly thinking about my daughter's experience. She also founded a nonprofit called We Are Brave Together, which also hosts a podcast alongside it. So go check it out. We Are Brave Together provides respite, community, and mentoring for mothers of all ages who are raising kids with disabilities and medical complexities. She's doing amazing work and has so much wisdom to share. Please enjoy my conversation with Jessica Pate. Hello, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Hi, Effie. I'm so happy to be here today with you. Oh my gosh, me too. We had the opportunity to meet you and our friend Billy Short in person a few weeks ago in sunny California, and that was just such a treat. It was such a treat. It's so fun and meaningful to meet people live and in person that you've connected with online. It was very special. So thank you for making that time happen. And it was great to meet Ford. I love him. Oh, thank you so much. I don't bring Ford to restaurants. Well, obviously now, but even before, just because it doesn't make sense for our family. So I'm so glad that he was on pretty good behavior and that it wasn't a nightmare that could have happened. No, he was easy, easy, easy peasy. (laughs) I would take him anytime, Effie. (laughs) I'm still thinking of that delicious food we had. I had it for lunch two days after. So thank you for making me take it home. Oh, I'm so glad. So glad. (laughs) Okay, well, we actually have a lot to cover today. We're kind of going to dig into two aspects that I want to talk to you about. One being your Brave Together podcast and mission. And the other, I want to talk about the sibling experience because you have three kiddos. So give me a little bit of background about your family and about your home right now. Okay, thanks. I have been married to my husband, Chris, for over 24 years, and we have three kids. Luke, who is just about 21. And like in minutes, and I've got Ryan, who is 18, and he's a senior in high school. He is my son with Prader-Willi syndrome, which is a rare genetic disorder. And I always say there's no cocktail party answer to explain it. And maybe we'll circle back to that. And I have Kate, who is 16, and she is the youngest, the only girl. And I always say that each of my kids has their own special, unique place in the family. There are no favorites. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so nice of you. I'm always trying to get my husband to tell me that I'm his favorite over our kids. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> post-it notes, post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Okay, well, that's a lot. Three kids, grown up almost. That's a lot of work around the house. Knowing that Ryan's 18, that just makes me go, oh my gosh, you were a mom to Ryan before social media and Facebook groups and just the internet really Yes. before it became something that could be a lifeline for parents like us. So what was that like in the beginning before you could just have people at your fingertips and how did that eventually grow for you? Such a great question. And when I look back, we had email, Yahoo groups, (laughs) and you would get a thousand emails a day, depending on, you know, how many people were in that group and how active they were. And in the very beginning, I think I tried to keep up and I would ask questions here and there, and then it became too much. And so... Only every once in a while would I pop in and check in and see what people were posting about. And it was all I knew. So I didn't know what I was missing in terms of any type of beautiful connections that could happen on Facebook or Instagram. And thankfully, my husband and I are the type. We're social. We're social creatures. We jumped into support groups for Prader-Willi syndrome specifically when Ryan was two months old. So we found our people very early on in the journey. And so without social media, we created a tribe that we could go to and socialize with and ask questions and seek resources. So I'm thankful that that's just kind of our nature. We're connectors, we're gatherers. And so thankfully we we had access to community even without social media. That's amazing. And the fact that you jumped into support groups when he was two months old, like, I don't know how you were doing that. I think it was really out of fear, Effie. When you read about Prader-Willi syndrome, you are scratching your head, your jaws on the ground, cuss words want to come out. You're like, what? How is, how is this a thing? In a nutshell, Ryan was born with low muscle tone. So that translates to milestones delayed. But in the very beginning, he didn't cry. He couldn't suck for food. We had to go home from the hospital after being there for a month with a G-tube. And he had a G-tube his whole first year of life because it took his mouth, jaw, lips, you know, tongue, everything that long to get strong enough to take a bottle on his own and not need the feeding tube. We had OTPT and speech pretty much right away. Speech probably not till he was a year, but OT and PT right away. The OT specialized in feeding, so she was working with everything that goes into feeding to get him to be able to suck a bottle. And then in childhood, there is an insatiable food drive that kicks in. So kids with PWS go from failure to thrive, quote unquote, to food-seeking behavior because their brain and their body does not tell them that they are full. It doesn't register that they've had any food. So when we read about this when Ryan was, you know, I didn't read anything while I was in the hospital. This is before smartphones. I'm aging myself. I didn't read anything. I didn't want to. I was afraid I would scare myself or stress myself out beyond the stress that I was under living in the hospital with Ryan. So when we got the diagnosis of Prader-Willi syndrome at five weeks of age, 
that's when I started to look things up. And you read about this life-threatening, insatiable food drive. And I'm staring at my darling, blue-eyed little newborn who was a sweetheart who never cried, which made the newborn phase, the first year phase, so easy. Looking at my precious little angel and then reading about, it's going to get crazy? Really? He's going to dig in trash cans and eat raw chicken or steal food? You know, this is what you read about, right? And it's very scary. So we had nobody around us with children with disabilities of any kind. And so I think it was fear. I'm circling back to why we jumped into support groups when he was two months old. We didn't know what we were doing. So we're like, we got to go find out how we're going to live this life with this new story. I know a lot of my friends' kids, like my friend Bo Bigelow's daughter, Tess, has something similar with the insatiable appetite. But people who don't have kids with this issue along their diagnosis don't necessarily grasp like the gravity of it. Like we're thinking, oh, okay, well, just don't give them all the food. What are some examples of that extreme behavior that comes along with it that you have to deal with? Thankfully for Ryan, his food drive has been a slow burn. So we didn't have to lock up our kitchen until he was 13. I thought, based on the literature and stories and people you meet along the way, that it would be much sooner. And so we were always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, when is he going to take food for the first time? When are we going to see the sneaky behavior or the tantruming for extra food? And it just, it, we, didn't, we didn't see it. And it wasn't until he must have taken, I can't remember the inciting incident where he took a bunch of food and we're like, oh, oh, it's actually, it's time. So it, he was 13. And by the time he was 16, we had to become extremely vigilant, meaning don't walk away if you've just opened the fridge to run to the bathroom. Make sure no matter what, that the kitchen is locked at all times. So we thought it would be so hard to live with that, but you get used to it, even though you open the fridge and the pantry a thousand times a day and we're a family of five. (laughs) And then imagine COVID where we're all here together and I'm like, who left the fridge unlocked? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was stressful, but we got through it. Um, (laughs) And uh, But so fast forward to today and we're super vigilant. Ryan does not tantrum for seconds. So we've we've always had a food schedule and we don't give seconds. We're careful with his diet, but I don't have to count calories because Ryan seems to have high metabolism, which is not the norm in PWS. Most kids with PWS have low metabolism because they have less muscle than everybody else. And Ryan certainly does. He's very skinny, very low tone. And he seems to have high metabolism. So I'm careful, but I don't have to count calories. Most kids, they're on a calorie-restricted diet and they're hungry all the time or they feel like eating all the time. It's such a double whammy. It's crazy. And we don't keep anything in our freezer. You know, we have the drawer freezer. And rather than a giant chain link lock that includes the freezer, we pretty much leave the freezer, you know, food free. And we have an a fridge in the garage, and pretty much the same. Once in a while, we might get something and throw it in there, like a frozen pizza, and then we forget, 
And then last week I walk into the garage and I see a box and wrapper on the ground. And so Ryan, when nobody was paying attention, when we thought he was playing in the backyard and I was probably at my computer not looking, he ate a whole frozen pizza. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny that you say that you are used to it and it's just the way of life, but it's such intense adapting, right? And you say vigilance and yes, it's vigilance, but it's also like on a tightrope all the time, Mm -hmm. like in your mind where it's constant anxiety about it. Yes. Yes. I, as my therapist has said, you have anxiety about Ryan's anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, (laughs) Well, Ryan's such a handsome kid. Thank you. He is. It helps on the rough days. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Always does. Thank you. So I want to talk about the experience that Kate and Luke have had through this experience and maybe starting at what, if I can ask, like what were your fears or your hopes for having a third child when your hands were extremely full at that time? And what did that decision do for you? You know, because Ryan, even though we were going through so much trauma He was an easy baby in that there wasn't the crying and we, you know, he was on a great feeding schedule and I got really good sleep and it left us wanting another child. And we also just wondered how it was going to play out. And there was no way for us to know, right? When he's a baby and you get the diagnosis, you have no way of controlling the outcome. Where on the spectrum of PWS is he going to land? And how is this going to be for Luke? We really thought about Luke a lot, and we also wondered, what if he grows up feeling like an only child if there's just Ryan and Luke? And we wanted him to have another sibling. We honestly wanted it for ourselves. We had that burning desire for a third, and we wanted Luke to have another sibling. Thanks for being honest about that. I get this question a lot from parents. I'll get an email and ask like, hey, Effie, how did you decide to have another kid? And I just think it's something that we aren't necessarily always talking about. Yes. And it's a it's a huge conversation in our homes Mm -hmm. and in our hearts. And sometimes we never even speak about it. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. For sure. I I will. I'm an open book, Effie. I think you probably get that get (laughs) that feel from me, you know. What are your feelings about the fact that Luke and Kate have perhaps had to grow up a little faster than other kids? And have you seen that? And do you have some examples of it? Yes, for sure. They've grown up faster. They're more mature. They've experienced crisis upon crisis. And that does something to you. And I think they're amazing human beings. I think they're resilient. I think they're wise. I think they're patient, loving, and compassionate. And it's really hard on the siblings. And Chris and I have tried to allow for those conversations because I remember hearing or reading anything that you have felt as a parent, the siblings in a special needs family feel as well. So validate, validate, validate. And so I would say to them through the years, it kind of sucks, doesn't it? This is really hard. It's really hard that we can't do family vacations or it's unpleasant when we go out for the day, the five of us in the car, or, you know, it kind of sucks that we can't go to a restaurant or we can't do this or do that, or that we lie to Ryan so that the rest of us can go out 
to a restaurant behind his back and just kind of have a food-free holiday and just relax together. So we've tried to open the lines of communication and yet there's no way to fully compensate for what the siblings go through. We've done one-on-one dates. We've done trips without Ryan, the four of us. Chris has taken Luke on trips. I've taken Luke. I've taken Kate. And we've tried to make up for it, but it won't. And so realizing that and accepting that is part of it. And you still need to be intentional with the siblings and acknowledge that their journey is harder because they have a brother or sister that takes up a lot of space and time and energy and effort. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because it's so true, right? Like the experience that we're having as parents is just parallel to to the kids and also in the in the form of being a caregiver themselves, right? Yes. Like they deserve that role. Not they don't deserve that role. Right. That's the wrong thing to say, but they deserve to be acknowledged as someone who's doing all of the work as well. Yes, it's true. And I would say try as much as you can not to put them in caregiver roles unless you absolutely have to. I'm not a single mom and I have an amazing husband who is hands-on and involved. But if I were a single mom, there would be tasks and roles that would fall on Luke and Kate differently, right? So, you know, in recent year and a half, maybe, we have decided not to ask Luke or Kate to babysit unless we're in an absolute pinch. We used to ask them, and we would even pay them because it is extra. It is not just a typical situation. But we've decided that we're not going to ask them, that that's not for them to do. But we also have resources and respite hours awarded to us that we can utilize. How do you separate them from being rare siblings? I love that you decided not to put them in a caregiver role unless you absolutely have to. What are other things that you do like that? Or how do you actually make them be able to acknowledge themselves as individuals? Do you do anything special? Hmm, that's such a great question. So I'm going to circle back to one of your original questions, Effie, where you said, what were you worried about? In the early years, I was so worried that they would grow up angry and resentful and not like Ryan. I was so worried. And that has not come to fruition. They love Ryan. And they will also admit how hard it's been. I think they're, they've been cheerleaders and advocates of Ryan. They'll help find humor in the craziness and help me laugh in the middle of it. And they're older now. So we're having some pretty deep conversations of the effects on them, regardless of Chris's effort and my effort to give them attention to be intentional, there are still repercussions. That reminds me of when you were just talking about travel, which is a whole other episode that we need to talk about. But knowing that we can put all of these safeguards in place and we can educate ourselves on how to best serve our siblings, our kids who are siblings, but to also know that no matter what, they got screwed in a way and that there's going to be stuff that sucks. Yeah, and I think it's important to just say those things out loud. We cannot expect the siblings to be saints 
and angels and never have a feeling or emotion or be upset or angry, frustrated, embarrassed, or not want to be around their sibling. That's so unrealistic. And I remember distinctly, and I regret this, they were saying something along the lines of it's not fair. And the mama bear in me rose up, but it was really, it was pushing a grief button, if I'm really honest. I was like, talk to me about not fair. Your brother's not going to get his license. He's not going to college. He's not going to get married. Don't talk to me about what's fair. But it was just, that was inappropriate of me. And I regret saying that because I should have just validated, you're right, it isn't fair. And this is really hard. And it's really hard on you. I mean, those are skills that you really have to learn. And especially if you weren't raised with different ways to communicate and different ways to cope, like you're coming into the game with not just zero resources on how to manage situations like that, but actual damage, you know, being taught the wrong way and you know, and not because it was wrong at the time, but because that's what was passed down to us is what they know, you know, like the family systems and the way that our society moves along, like it's never in malice or anything, but it's passing on what they know. And unfortunately, it hasn't always been correct, especially in the form of communication and managing our feelings. True. So true. I'm learning so much now, 21 years into motherhood that I wish I knew when my kids were babies. And I'm not going to sit in regret. I'm going to just do my best to to learn and change and go forward. But gosh, there's so much that's going on in our own internal world that does affect our parenting that I really didn't realize. And I call myself a recovering perfectionist. And I thank Ryan for helping to bring me out of that and sort of shake me out of that. But that drove a lot of my behavior early on as a mom, early on as a as a wife. And I was so hard on myself. And that that trickles down into your kids. And I'm seeing that now. That even when you try not to, things just sort of fall onto your kids that come from you. I love that term recovering perfectionist. And I love that you noticed that about yourself. (laughs) Really. And can you kind of dig into it just a little deeper? Because I'm curious Mm -hmm. about what about it has changed. Mm -hmm. So when you're a perfectionist, you're so hard on yourself and you're, you're highly critical of things around you. More so you're in probably your immediate family versus your friends, but it could trickle into friendships. I think I just expected that I would feel a certain way about motherhood, a little too glowy and dewy and ooey and gooey all the time. I think I expected that I should feel that way all the time. And that feeling like, wow, this is really hard, even in even with my first child, you know, just, wow, this is really hard and sleep deprivation is really hard and I want breaks and I need breaks and I need date nights. I think I was just so hard on myself because I expected that motherhood would be ooey gooey and that I wouldn't have such hard days and moments where I didn't like it or where I expected so much more out of myself. Why can't I get him on a schedule? Why can't this work? Why doesn't that work? Why can't I get him to sleep through the night? What's wrong with me? So then you 
experience a few crises. So Ryan comes in and crisis teaches you what's important. And I say the gifts of special needs motherhood, the gift, one of the gifts is a shift in perspective. And all I cared about was, is he happy? Is he safe? Is he stable? It's not about really anything else. And so it helps you relax, I think, in general and helped me let go of some things. And I knew we couldn't be the perfect little family, not in a fake sort of way, but I think I just went into, because of my own unique growing up experience, I had such high ideals about marriage and motherhood. And so you have to have a break with some of those expectations because they just harm you. They leave you disappointed and then you're wondering what's wrong with you. And it's really has nothing to do with that at all. Mm, I love everything that you just said. And I love the clarity that you get. Like you said, the shift in perspective. I was talking with a friend the other day and saying, yes, the word luxury can actually fit there because we wouldn't have been as close to the meat of our soul and our family if we weren't hit with this adversity. Mm -hmm. Sure, we would have loved deep and we would have been great, mm -hmm. but there is just something to be said about the other side of the fence mm -hmm. in the life that we lead that completely brightens everything that matters. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. When my first was going through high school and then the college admissions process, you know, we weren't the parents who were trying to get our kids into Harvard. That was never our mindset. It was, yes, you're going to college. But we were free from being the crazy parents expecting our kids to do a thousand things and check a thousand boxes. You know, in hindsight, maybe I should have pushed a little bit more than I did. I don't know. But you just have perspective about what really, really matters. And the top 30 colleges in the country is not the end-all be-all. That's not a linear path to success, happiness, fulfillment, and a crisis-free life. So why would I put that kind of pressure on my kid to try to achieve, 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 and get straight A's and get a 5.0 and what have you? I don't know. I just, it does free you up from some things. And the cynical part of me, when I hear somebody complaining about something, the cynical part of me is wants to say, okay, you're, you need a crisis. Not that I wish crisis upon anyone, but crisis really is a, is, is a game changer in terms of perspective. 100%. You need a crisis. I'm going to tell somebody that today. <laughs> <laughs> when they're like complaining about, I don't, you know, just something so frivolous, yeah. but to them, it's a big deal. So you don't want to minimize what their ache is, but in your head sometimes, you're like, oh, goodness. <laughs> no, wow. Totally no. Wow. <laughs> uh, I think in the beginning, too, of the journey, things like that make you so angry or they activate things mm -hmm. where you want to just like pounce on them. Mm -hmm. But after a few years, it's so easy to just not even let it float around your body. Right. And it's maybe something that makes you smile because you're just like, oh, I'm so glad that is not my problem. True. Very true. And it takes work to get to that place because when you're heavily in the grief, bitter, resentment, comparing stage, you are so sensitive. And yeah. it takes work. I highly recommend therapy for all parents 
with a special needs child just for that support, but also to make sure you don't get stuck in the grief and bitterness and resentment and it's not fair and, you know, victim mentality. I highly recommend whether it's a life coach or a therapist, somebody who can really help snap you out of that kind of mindset. I think it's it's okay to have, you know, a little pity party, but you don't want to have a slumber party there because then you're no good for your family because you'll just be so bitter. 100%. I got us a little off track, but that I'm going to bring that back to your kids. Okay. <laughs> what do you think are the hardest things that your kids have had to work through along their journey in the last 16 years? Well, I think what I'm realizing now, so a therapist said this, that anytime there's uncertainty in a household, you're going to have anxiety. So, you know, like a typical scenario with an alcoholic parent, right? Or abusive parent, you know, the kids are going to grow up with anxiety because they just never know what it's going to be like and what any day is going to be like or what their parent is going to be like. So in growing up with Ryan, there have been really hard seasons of unpredictability with his behavior and anxiety and outbursts. He's not too aggressive these days, but we've gone through seasons where he was more aggressive. And certainly his meltdowns could happen at any time. So we do walk on eggshells. We do live with uncertainty. And that's definitely had its effects on on Luke and Kate. And I hate that for them. So, you know, they're gaining their tools, how to manage anxiety. And I wish that we would have done family therapy a lot sooner we're doing it now. And I wish I would have started before my kids could say, no, I'm not going. That's not cool. I don't want to talk to anybody, you know, and and talk about how having a sibling affects the whole family. And it would be a free place to to share and to sort of proactively prevent certain dynamics from happening. Kate has said in the last year that she did feel like we made her a second mother, even though we were trying not to. So that was really hard to hear because I, I felt like we were trying not to. And and things can still happen. Something else that I would encourage any parents who are earlier in their journey than I am is that you really send the message to the siblings that their needs, their hurts, their feelings, what they go through, their stressors matter and that they have a voice in this family. They have an equal voice in this family, even if their sibling with a disability seems to take up all the air and space that you acknowledge time and again, I see you. I know you have needs. I know you have hurts. I know this is hard for you. You have a voice in this family and I want you to come to me. I don't want you to shove it down just because you feel like I don't have the bandwidth to carry your needs or your hurts or what's going on with you. Yeah. And this is the kind of stuff I <laughs> I was talking about when I said they get screwed. You know, they're just they're cast into this emotional and traumatic experience when we're all not equipped and we don't have all the information yet and we're trying to figure it out. And it just sucks to have a sweet little angel be along for the ride. That's what I mean. It is. And they become extraordinary human beings, too. They do. They absolutely do. I mean, they're some of the most compassionate, empathetic world changers 
that we know. And the sibling experience is just so unique. And it's also, like you said, it's just, it's terrifying to think, what if I do one little thing that really, really ruins this for them? What if they feel like they're being taken care of second? What if they mm -hmm. feel like a burden coming to me with a problem because they know I'm stressed? You know, yes. like the guilt, the anger that they feel mm -hmm. like it's so much for a little body and a little mind. And I just think it's so important for us to figure out how to make this as authentic and as transparent and as vulnerable as we can in the home. I agree. I agree a thousand percent. Don't let it be the elephant in the room. Don't not talk about it. Don't shove it under the carpet. Don't put it in a box on the shelf. Just keep those lines open with the siblings. The best thing that somebody said to me, we can translate it to talking to our kids who are the siblings, but somebody said to me years ago, Jess, I know enough to know I have no idea what it's like to be a mother to a son with a rare disability, but I know that I love you and care about you and I'm here for you. And we can say that to our kids who are the not disabled, neurotypical, beautiful, amazing siblings. I have no idea, unless it's true for us. I, I didn't grow up with any siblings that were disabled. But we can say to our kids, I have no idea what it's like to be you and to be a sibling to Ryan. But I know that I love you and care about you and support you. And I want to hear everything that's on your heart and mind when and if you want to share. I'm here for you. Amen. I think allowing kids the permission to feel just like we learn to, yeah. hopefully, as adults, and the power that is recognizing our emotions is so powerful. And it is transformative. And I think that we need to create change in our family systems mm -hmm. and start passing this, this stuff down correctly. I agree. These darn kids. <laughs> yep. Do you hold Luke and Kate accountable or discipline them in the same way as you do Ryan? Like, do you treat all your kids equally in that aspect? Or is there kind of a waiver, a waiver wire there? It's different. I really honestly, each kid is different. And what they've seen sort of in the reverse is that Ryan hasn't received the same as them because consequences in PWS don't work. They don't, they're not meaningful. However, I will give consequences still, even though it's not going to change behavior. I mean, and just in general, punishment doesn't change behavior. But if Ryan is aggressive, he will lose TV time. And so I feel like there are times I give consequences just on principle to demonstrate to Luke and Kate that he still gets consequences even though I know that they aren't going to they aren't going to change his behavior with Luke and Kate I don't know that I've been lenient at all just because they're siblings I think just in general I was more strict with Luke because he was the first and you're paranoid you know first time mother I always <laughs> say sorry Luke you're the beta test you know there's definitely <laughs> things that he's vocalized you know and I've realized that I parented out of fear. And so I was very different with Kate. So I think sometimes I'm too loose with Kate because I was too tight with Luke. 
I think, it, and that has nothing to do with Ryan. It's just the wild, wild west. It's just the wild, Doesn't wild west of parenting. Doesn't matter where you come from. <laughs> Man, parenting is not for wimps. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just really impressed and proud mama to mama of the way that your family has grown and the way that you as a person has morphed from, you know, being scared and fearful to being intentional and thoughtful and growth driven. I think it's amazing. And it's obviously led you into a piece of your purpose. Yes. uh, With Brave Together. And let's tell everybody about it. Thank you. I would love to. So We Are Brave Together is a 501c3 organization that I launched in 2017 with the intent to combat the isolation and compassion fatigue that moms face who have children any age with any disability diagnosis or challenge, including mental health challenges and educational challenges. And even if you're a mom out there listening and your child doesn't have a diagnosis, but clearly has extra or extreme or special (laughs) unique needs, you're welcome to be a part of the community of We Are Brave Together. And our focus is moms and we We are offering all types of gatherings, whether it's support groups, virtual or in-person, educational workshops, retreats, uh, respite scholarships for those retreats. And we launched a podcast in the middle of COVID called Brave Together with Jessica Pate. And where this all comes from is just because I know what altered motherhood is all about. And I know how critical it is to have mentors or organic mentors and to have community and to find people who get you and who don't judge you for the plethora of emotions and seasons that you go through, that it's important to be seen, heard, and understood. Even if our children's diagnoses are different, there's a common thread and there's a common bond and it's life-changing. And I'm just one of those people who's always loved their girlfriends. And I've always made time for girls trips and mommy breaks. And I wanted to be able to offer that to moms because who doesn't need a break more than a caregiving mom? And so we we are back in person for our retreats. It is magical and we'll be doing, hopefully growing and growing in that. I'd love to get to the point of being able to offer a retreat once a month in different locations in the country, not just California. That is definitely the dream and the goal because when women come together in person, again, surrounded by women who get you and automatically are there to love you, support you and validate you. It's wonderful and it's so fun and we laugh and we share and we cry and we just have really such a rich time of connection and rest together. I love it so much. Okay, so just to lay this out, there's three forms of resources that you offer. One being your amazing podcast, Congratulations, Brave Together. Two being online support groups and local support groups that you have with volunteers, if you will, who lead the groups throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And three, the in-person retreats. Yes. So how does a parent find or sign up for all three of these? So the best way would be to go to our website, wearebravetogether.com and fill out the little pop-up so that you receive our announcements, emails, and newsletters. 
We're also on Instagram at We Are Brave Together. And we have a Facebook page. We also have Instagram and a Facebook page for the podcast. On Instagram, it's at Brave Together Pod. So you can find out about our new episodes that drop every Wednesday. Please subscribe, leave a review and a rating. That helps us. And uh, if you want to be a part of the private Facebook group as well for We Are Brave Together, then there's a question on the uh when you sign up for We Are Brave, that you want to be a part of that and we'll connect and get you in there. And the online group is a great place to share stories or vent or seek resources or ask a question or share, you know, a funny meme to bring some humor to the journey. And it's a great way to connect across the miles. Cool. Okay. I want to go to your retreats real quick because every mom listening is like, yeah, of course I need a retreat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me book that off and get the money for it. Yeah, I was like blown away when I met you in person because you told me that your 501c3 actually covers the costs of the retreats for the moms who are coming. For most of the cost. Mm-hmm. Most of the cost. Mm-hmm. I'm like 98% of the cost, most of the cost. Well, yeah, or 75%. We, we only charge $200 and that covers housing so you're, we're either in a hotel or a house, and it covers food and snacks and drinks and our speaker sessions and a goodie bag. Yeah, so basically free, moms. <laughs> this is something that you can do. And if you need $200, we will get it for you. Right. And so we did hear. So, you know, before this, I think the first retreat, we only charged 100 and then we went to 150 And at that point, it's probably our first year, somebody said, well, I can't afford that. And I went right to my board and said, we have to start a scholarship fund. So every retreat, we send three, four or five moms for free. They just apply. You don't have to send in your financials. It's on your honor. You fill out the simplest application form and make sure you get it in by the deadline. And we tell you many, many times all the information about our retreats and about the the deadlines for scholarship applications and registration so that you are well informed and can get in. It's first come, first serve when we do registration. And then after that, a wait list begins when we sell out. Can you nominate another mom? That's such a great question. Um, it's something I'm taking to my board. That's not what we've done in the past. If you wanted to nominate a mom and say, I think this mom should apply, you would need to get their permission. If you wanted to say, I want to pay for a mom directly, can I do that? That's something that direct nomination we have not done. And so that's a topic actually for our board if we wanted to make that an option in the future. Because I think about my friend Cynthia, who's the day nurse and the night nurse and the mom, and she's too busy and stressed out to even think about going online and thinking about a retreat and all of that that comes with it. So I'm going to get her to one of your retreats. Mm. She deserves it. That would be wonderful. <laughs> and then real quick, just a little example of the speakers. You mentioned you have the speakers at the retreats. So believe it or not, I would say that what drives people to the retreat is not a speaker. It's we never even used to advertise ahead of time what's going on, what the content, is there a theme, what are the workshops about? And people would come because they just want the break and the time together in a beautiful location. However, now we do have 
retreat speakers that we hire for the weekend. And this last time it was on sourcing joy amidst chronic hardship. And it was fabulous content, a great reminder to invest in play, which how often do we invest in play for ourselves as a way to source joy? And the the content was really, really fantastic. So we hire great speakers. Usually it's been also a mom to a child with special needs, although it doesn't always have to be, but they have obviously special insight and what they're sharing with us, they understand firsthand how to apply it to their own lives. Awesome. Well, I know that was a lot of information, but like Jessica said, you can go to her website and you can read about all this and get all the important details. But I just wanted to make sure that we added that on to everything because it's amazing and you should be really proud of yourself. And I wish there was a hundred more things like it. I do too. And I, I just hope that we can grow and grow and grow. And uh, I hope to have some support groups in Seattle someday where you are. Yeah, we need it. We need we'll it. We'll get there. All right, Jessica, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to make sure to leave with with our friends? I don't think so. I just want to tell you if you're earlier on in your journey that even though it's hard, beautiful things can come out of a hard story. So expect it. Expect it. I love that. Okay. Thanks for being my guest, Jessica. Oh, it's so good to spend this time with you, Effie. I can't wait to see you again in person. Same. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 